Welcome to No Concessions, your favorite movie podcast where we explore subgenres of movies. Uh, this week's subgenre is bottomless clips, bottomless mimosas, great on Sundays. <laughs> A.K.A. Obviously, Max Payne was inspired by this. Obviously, oh, without yeah. a doubt. Uh, this week, we're reviewing 1992's Hard Boiled, directed by John Woo, <laughs> starring Chow Yun-Fat. John Woo as fuck. It, it really is. It's a John Woo movie for sure. If I had to, if I had to say, if I had to point out any movie that was specific to any director, it would be this one. This is a John Woo fucking ass John Woo movie. Before we get to the titular segment and the review, let's get into a little bit of uh, guest introduction. We're back here today with Charles and Charles. Good to be back. Yes. Hi, guys. Both of us. Again, we're, we're never going to have this not be confusing ever. <laughs> if you hear one of us on the show, you're going to hear the other. <laughs> I, I think at this point, one of us is the real one. One of us is the shadow of the other one. Yeah, we're just that. <laughs> we're, uh, when you enter the water temple, we're just. <laughs> <laughs> or shadow temple. Right. Whatever, whichever. That's Who gives a shit? Like, full <laughs> disclosure, I've never actually finished Ocarina of Time. No one has. Anyone who says they have is fucking lying. <laughs> Oh, you know what that reminds me of? I did also see Knives Out over the weekend. Oh yeah. That reminds me of that line where Daniel Craig, he, he's talking about gravity's rainbow. And she she uh, replies saying, oh yeah, it's a book, but I haven't read it. Like, oh, I haven't read it either. Nobody has. <laughs> I just laughed out loud at that because I too have tried reading gravity's rainbow and it's fucking unreadable. <laughs> but at least I understand what the title means now. What's the book about? It. It's something having to do with charting out like the trajectories of like rockets being fired. And if I remember correctly, because this is a long time ago, there's a character who gets an erection every time like a missile gets fired somewhere <laughs> in the world. <laughs> you can't okay. read 10 pages of it. Yeah, it, is, the, uh, it defies any sort of comprehension. The first... Um, the uh, first thing I found on its explanation on its uh, description is lengthy, complex, and featuring a la large cast of characters. So it's just out the gate, you know, it's an endeavor. But uh, apparently, it's a novelization of some of the things going on with um, Operation Paperclip when we were recruiting a bunch of Nazi scientists to use V two technology to get us into space. Say, say. Anyway, our opening segment this week is real or fake. We've got Mr. Brain Man Charles. Which one? Who knows? Uh, he, what would you do for this? You created an AI to write movie synopses. Yeah. Okay. So here's here's AI 101 for everyone. This is an AI podcast now. <laughs> uh, there's there's a thing called text generation where um, you give your little computer model a bunch of. Um, any sort of text samples you want, uh, political speeches, movie synopses in this case, uh, tweets, which, you know, join the Discord. You can see some of my Trump and Dr. <laughs> Phil um, made up tweets there. Uh, this, this AI learns the kind of like frequency of what words follow what other words, like kind of like in a sequence. And if you give it enough examples, it can start to produce realistic sounding copies of those examples. Uh, this is based on um, a model called GPT-2, which was developed by OpenAI. This is the same 
company that made the Dota 5 AI program. <laughs> Have you guys heard of this? Yeah. No. Uh, so it's um, this totally separate AI that learned to play Dota and managed to beat some pro-level players. Uh, there's a lot of this sort of like AI in games thing going on right now. Like um, DeepMind did one with StarCraft a year or two ago. Uh, they also uh, created a Go AI machine that beat the current Go champion. Um, that was like two or three years ago. And now we're in the tech space. And we're, we're, we're eventually going to get to the point where we're just going to have an AI not only write our movie scripts for us, but render everything based on what they see in the script too. And, and then write the reviews. <laughs> and we'll never know what's real. Those fuckers who made Deep Blue 25 years ago this is where we're at now. <laughs> you build one chess playing robot and now they're writing movies using the same principle as running a rat through the same maze over and over again and then slightly changing the sequence. It's just all conditioning, but it can go so fast because it's a computer and doesn't need to sleep or eat or reproduce. It's a work ethic we could all aspire to. Yes. It's what capitalism is driving us towards. <laughs> but basically, I'll be reading through a real IMDb movie synopsis and a fake movie synopsis. And Denzel and Charles have to guess which one's real and which one isn't. I'm looking forward to this. Let's get it going. Okay. The first one, it's a little bit of a warm up. Uh, okay. Sebastian and his friend Christian are going to a big, big music festival in New Mexico. While Sebastian and the guys are having some fun, Christian is trying to figure out how he will connect with the people he once thought he'd never meet. And then the second synopsis. Brit, Candy, Cotty, and Faith have been best friends since grade school. They live together in a boring college dorm and are hungry for adventure. All they have to do is save enough money for spring break to get their shot at having some real fun. A serendipitous encounter with rapper Alien. Okay, so that's Spring Breakers. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. That was based off an obvious movie that everyone's seen. I can promise you, these next movies, nobody has seen. <laughs> okay. That's kind of foundational to this show as a whole, so yeah, we might do better than we thought. <laughs> Round two. One for one so far. Good job, guys. Thank you. You know what? I'm a big fan of Riff Raff, and as soon as I saw James Franco cosplaying him in a movie, I said, I have to see that, and then I never did. <laughs> yeah, did anyone actually see Spring Breakers? I saw like the first 20 minutes, and it wasn't very good. I, if only it, they'd actually gotten Riff Raff. Isn't it just hyper-violent with like girls that used to be on Disney? That's really about it. Yeah, three out of four of those women were uh, Disney Channel stars. <laughs> oh, that I did not know. Spring break. Anyway, go ahead. Sex, drugs, desire centers around a trio of female drug users who decide to get clean of their habit and reconnect with one another. They take a step into the world of sex, drugs, and sexual desire. Their journey is fascinating, revealing, and heartbreaking. The erotically charged teachings of life and love, books and a first-rate education aren't the only things on these horny, oversexed college students' minds, <laughs> along with the college professors who give a whole new meaning to a harder education. That second one has to be real. The first one's fake, because like sex and 
like sexual like to use sex and sexual in the same sentence is like the kind of thing that i feel like an ai would do okay, okay. you're right the first one was fake okay perfect round three what movie was it charles <laughs> oh the real movie is called a lesson learned we will include the imdb link in the show notes i save them all right here is that so is it are you sure it's just not a porno imdb apparently indexes porns oh yes it does which is weird and youtube videos round three round three of four a young man with a terminal illness who's working as a secretary is torn between trying to support his family and living life as the woman he wants to be when he finally gets the chance to do so however he finds that it's not the freedom he's been looking for or even the recognition that he's made of a woman that he can love it's the struggle for love and acceptance Chen Quan Tai battles assassins that use a deadly beheading weapon to kill dissidents. Based on true events, the film's weapon was completely fabricated because in real life, no one ever survived to tell what the weapon actually looked like. I feel like I've seen the trailer for that first one. That second one sounds like it's real to me because that's the kind of thing somebody would think is like super cool we have to make up the weapon bro because <laughs> nobody ever lived to tell what it looked like but we know about the assassins just not the weapon yeah <laughs> dude we talked to the people who hired her they couldn't see the weapon either bro so <laughs> this movie was so assassin filled that the mpaa rated it x i'm going with number two as the uh, i'm going with number one all right split drum roll the answer so number two was real. Damn. The flying guillotine. The flying guillotine. <laughs> the flying guillotine. So, very last round. Set in the 1920s, this tale depicts the struggle and success of Lady B as she reigns over Hollywood's talkie era and 100 years later of her granddaughter's journey as an Instagram influencer. Inspiring. Funny. Different. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and the second film. The film follows the story of James Jones, Sean McElhenney, as he makes his way through life as a man struggling with his identity as a professional wrestler, Dave Batista, and a struggling artist, Dennis Wilson. In a world of social media, Jones meets with success in the wrestling world, but the greatest success lies with his personal life. He has an epiphany to ask his fans for $500,000, but a question that is easily answered. When is it okay to be a professional wrestler? All right. Given that there were three actors for the same character. <laughs> <laughs> Although, uh, what was that final movie that, um, the Joker actor played in Joaquin Phoenix or Heath Ledger? No, no, the Heath Ledger one. Oh, Oh, the, it was had like Colin Farrell and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Johnny Depp in it. Weren't they all the same character? No too? one fucking saw it. Who knows? Um, <laughs> it was like it was, it was like a stupid long name. Oh, Mister Phantasmagoria's Fantastic. Yeah, Mister Magorium something something. Phantasmagoria. That's gonna kill me. I'm yeah, Mister <laughs> Mister Magorium's Phantasmagoria. Mister Magorium's Flexitopia. <laughs> Mister Magoria's Fruitopia. Fruitopia used to be a banger when I was a kid. The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Oh, well, I was this, way the fuck off. 
We oh, we got the uh, Arium part. We were just stuck on that. <laughs> oh shit! Uh, I don't. I don't know, man. Uh, I want to say number one is the real one. Um, and you're right. It is. Multiple people play the same character. It's Heath Ledger, Johnny Depp, and Jude Law. They all play a man named Tony. I'm going for the first one as well. That's a really bland name for a movie with that crazy of a title. Tony. Hey, I'm Tony Parnassus. Anyway, you are correct. The first movie is a short film called Lady Instagram. It's a bad idea, <laughs> but I believe that it's a real movie. <laughs> Oh, All right, good job, Denzel. You you got the thank you, thank you. Yeah, sorry, I'm, Charles. It's fine. I'm just gonna kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Next week we will have an AI replacing Charles's role as host on the show. <laughs> I think voice synthesizers aren't too far off. No, actually, we uh, Chet and I back when we were doing the old show sent a bunch of uh, our individual channels to somebody to do a voice font for us and i was gonna write a five minute episode based on the voice fonts but we just never got the voice fonts back um but that would have been fucking that sounds really interesting because i also have several hours of my voice talking recorded yeah it would be it would be pretty fucking sick to do that yeah i've got probably like 150 hours of just stuff that I've recorded and then my appearances on this show and the old show just take every voice clip I can find of myself and just like pay somebody to put it into an algorithm and it's like right wild shit get myself fired from every possible job in the future <laughs> there's a Google were you the one that posted this in the discord uh, yeah. Google's voice fonts yeah mm, we need yes. to find out how to do that so we can just write shows instead of <laughs> recording that yeah, we'll just like write segments we'll take all the i'll transcribe all the opening segments we'll throw it into one of charles's ai templates and then just see what the opening is like without us <laughs> all right if you have any leads on how to create voice fonts let me know because i think this would be actually really fucking sick this is this would be really cool to just do an AI, like a full fully automated show and then I could just take random people's voices on the street. I don't know how long of a sample that you would need in order to create like a, a little voice font for people. So some more AI inside baseball. Um, the original model that I use to generate all these synopses, uh, there's a thing called transfer learning where you get uh, like staggering amount of data and you do your first round of training to get the model acclimated to like what text actually is. So this model used like all of Reddit to be able to learn like how to form sentences and whatnot. And then you expose this model to a much smaller sample, but it's focused on the specific task that you're applying it to. So like now it's trained on Reddit on like 2 billion or more comments or something. And I'm showing it like, 5,000 movie synopses. So theoretically, if you have a good enough trained voice generator, you could just take a super short clip of someone saying something and <laughs> then have it sound as though they're real. Yeah, if they extrapolate enough, like a salt enough range of what your voice sounds like, and it's already got like a skeleton to work from as far as like inflection and stuff, I imagine. Just like that Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. Well, the future is going to be hell. Yeah, it's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> Between that and deepfakes, we're just uh, not going to be able to trust anything ever. Yeah. 
God, just as bad as having your eyes hacked and ghosts in the shell. <laughs> Fuck, dude. How awful. Anyway, when we return, we'll be getting into our review of Hard Boiled. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of which, Altered Carbon, that last season that they're doing is based on the third book. That second book is a fucking stinker. Somebody oh skipped it. boy. Yeah, I think it's terrible because we're, I'm going off on a tangent. Fuck it. It's been a while since we've recorded. Uh, first and foremost, the first thing that I forgot to say at the top of this segment is shout outs to you, Emilio R for recommending hard boiled. Interesting choice. Second, I decided because I was, I watched altered carbon. I really enjoyed it. I was going to check out the book. So I checked out one of the books. The first book was actually pretty dope. Second book, uh, fucking whack. There's like this, <laughs> there's a segment, uh, or a, a sequence in there. Basically the, the second book covers how they got the technology for the stacks, uh, that they use to house their like consciousness. And it's for it, who? Who's that for? Yeah, who knows? Cause if you don't address it in the first book, then you have to just acknowledge that people are going to accept. You've already acknowledged that people are going to accept this technology. Uh, you don't need to. It's briefly mentioned in the first book. It's like, yo, we got this technology from aliens. And the, part of the conflict in the first season of the show is like, yo, this shit's unnatural, but we're like Catholics. So when you, you live once, you die once. But in reality, in the book, what the conflict is like, yo, this shit is not of God. This came from aliens. So like, do you really trust it? Like, do you really want it to be like given to people or what the fuck? And then there's like a whole bunch of other shit that goes into it. But the second book, like more deeply goes into the aliens who brought it. Okay. And it's just like, that. no one cares. <laughs> and the dude's got like weird sex powers that can heal people's brains Hell and yeah. shit. It's, it's so fucking stupid. I'm going to literally fuck the crazy out of you. It's gonna <laughs> that's, that's legit what happened. That's legit what happened. It's so stupid. That's that's great. And that's where I stopped reading the book. I was like, <laughs> you know what? The sex magic, sex technology magic is where I get off the train. And we're back. This week's subgenre is bottomless magazines, bottomless mimosas, both great on a Sunday. Or Max Payne obviously inspired this movie. I've had to cut this so many times, but there's also a game called Stranglehold that came out that's supposed to be a sequel to this movie, 1992's Hard Boiled. And we discussed this during one of the things that I had to cut because my mic wasn't recorded. There was a lot of things that happened. Leave them all in. No way. No way. People, people who, who said it in the Discord? We have a Discord chat, by the way. You should hop on there if you're so inclined. But somebody had mentioned on the Discord they, they'd be curious what's coming out of these oh, episodes. Yeah, yeah. I think that was Samurai Jack. Samurai Jack the face ripper. Uh, you wouldn't, it's stuff like me repeating the same thing six times because I forgot what I said and I don't write things down. It's things like, hey, can you get closer to the mic? Just over and over and over again. <laughs> it's, it's you listen to it once and be like, that's kind of novel. And if we did it a second time, you'd be like, all right, that's really annoying. I see why he edits this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, this week we're reviewing Hard Boiled, directed by John Woo, produced by Linda Cook and Terrence Chang. 
Screenplay by Barry Wong. Story by John Woo. Starring Chow Yun-Fat, Tony Long chu Wai, Teresa Mo, Philip Chan, Philip Kwok, Andy Wong. And music by Michael Gibbs. Cinematography by Wang Wing Hang. Edited by John Woo, David Woo, Kai Kit Wai, and Jack Ah. Uh, the movie was initially released in Hong Kong on April 16th, 1992. With a runtime of 128 minutes. And a budget of $4.5 million in U.S. Yeah, why does it have the U.S. amount and then the Hong Kong box office? It's a good question. I don't even know what that translates to. We could do the math, but math is for losers. Do it yourselves, nerds. <laughs> 19700000 million in Hong Kong money, whatever that shit's called. Zenny, maybe? I have no <laughs> idea. Anyway, this movie is fucking insane. To outline the story briefly, it's about a cop who meets another cop and they have to take down a gang of cop killers. It's crazy. You can simplify it to that. Cause watching it is insane. <laughs> it is. It is. I had to start it over at one point. So I was like, what is happening? This movie happens so quickly, despite how weirdly edited it is. <laughs> and it just keeps ramping up. Too. Yeah. Things are just happening. So it's like stuff that you would expect to happen in like the third act happened in the first act. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Who's betraying who? So much like I get, you know, the opening scene wild. Just starts up out the gate. There's birds everywhere. They're in a bar. I don't know if like bird cafes like a thing in Hong Kong. But it's like starts off, there's a shootout and there's birds everywhere. And which is another John Woo staple. <laughs> and I don't know why though. Why does he like birds? I don't know, man. Everybody's got a thing, I guess. Yeah. It was like, there's a shootout and then his partner dies. Like, cool. That's an inciting incident type thing. I, you kind of expect that in the first act, but you're like, all right, well now this other dude. Yeah. But did the inciting incident need to be like a 10 minute long shootout? Yes, it absolutely did. Charles, why would you even ask that? <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you're like, did this need to be? The answer is yes. Uh, I, uh, that opening scene, the opening shootout lasted so fucking it's so long. long. <laughs> it takes 12 minutes. Uh, but they get to the shootout in like three. So it's like it starts with that weird jazz sequence. Yeah. Where a dude just makes a drink on stage and just starts playing clarinet, which is not what you want to do. You do not want to put vodka and soda directly onto a reed. It will make it crack pretty quickly. But... It's like things you learn from musicians. Who knew? It just starts with this dude playing clarinet in a jazz club after making a drink very sloppily. And then there's birds in a restaurant. Chai and Fat is looking through a mirror to see another... On his own birdcage. On his own birdcage. To what you think is he like watching the guys having the meeting about guns? No, he's watching another guy further along who's... I, separate criminal it's I, never really explained who he is Yeah, because he gets fucking he gets fucking murked in the same at the end of this 12 minute i want to say that if we understood cantonese the ambient talking that those guys are doing at the table yeah would make a lot more sense yeah they can only caption so much subtitle so much yeah or we could just learn cantonese and stop being ugly americans yeah. how how dare we take in somebody else's culture but not embrace the culture learn about the culture yeah bong joon ho was just like you know if you could just like read subtitles movies it'd be like really cool american movie audiences 
And everyone was like, yeah, but also everyone was like, I'm not going to fucking read while I watch a movie. That's why I'm watching a movie. Yeah, exactly. That's why we just turn books into movies now, because no one's reading books. Can I mention that in Hard Boiled, it's so strange that these guys pick and choose two things. One, when they reload, yeah. and two, when they die. You can take like 400 bullets, and you'd still be alive, <laughs> but like you get shot in the chest once, you're like, oh, like, I'm That's dead. a wrap. <laughs> I'm dead. This is one of the greatest action movies ever made. It's man, these scenes are incredible, and the use of slow motion is clearly very early because it's it's like use. It almost seems random when slow motion is used, and then it'll just be like, all right, well, here's a nine minute sequence of just people jumping around and shooting, and there's no slow motion, and then there's like, oh, here's a dude kind of running toward like down the hallway, and we're gonna slow it down just a little bit. I don't know, it's all over the place. I want to say, like, yo, shout out to Zack Snyder because obviously this inspired him as well. The gratuitous use of slow motion, except Zack Snyder decided to speed it up at one point yeah, and then yeah. slow it back down. That was his hallmark. This movie is responsible for so many different things in action movies. Maybe it's not just this movie. Maybe it's all of John Woo's movies. But this this shit right here, dudes jumping around with guns in their hands, firing uh at just whatever entire rooms being filled with bullets one thing that i do appreciate about this movie though is that they're willing to kill the civilians that are in the scenes yeah in american movies it's so weird because like you'll have a similar scene work out like this but for some reason the dudes manage to only hit each other yeah it's like somehow you just like as long as you show people ducking down when they run as long as you're ducking down when they run, then it's like, cool, they didn't get shot. I was like, that's, if I thought it took to avoid bullets, then everyone would just be ducking down all the time. Bullets only hit you if you're standing up. <laughs> Not so in this one, though. And it isn't just stray bullets that hit people. The further into the movie that we get, the more and more civilians are deliberately targeted by bad guys, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it is addressed, like, in film, but... It's still like it is kind of drawing to see it compared to like American films where it never happens. Yeah. The movie where it did happen, what was it? Man of Steel. People were so like up in arms fakely on the internet, like, oh, I can't believe they killed so many people. And it's like, what the fuck do you expect happens yeah, you in these movies? Happens? Just because you don't see it doesn't mean people aren't dying. Like oh. in Avengers, like what? They blew up half of New York and nobody died? Yeah. Like, yeah, right. The funniest reaction to that, like, too, no, is... You had Captain in, America say that they're, <laughs> they're evacuating. In, in Batman versus Superman, it was like as soon as Doomsday started fighting Superman, you see the news say, oh, it's a good thing the financial <laughs> district is empty right now. Yeah. And he looks straight into the camera as he says it. It's like, <laughs> is that what you wanted, people? Is this what you want? <laughs> Yeah. This movie was never going to be good, but it's worse now because of you. <laughs> oh, shit. I just, I, I don't really respect that. I would, if I were somebody in a movie, like let's say hypothetically I were to direct a movie and a bunch of civilians got killed and like internet pundits were upset about it, I would just literally post like people die every day. Get over it. Or I would purposefully go out and antagonize people because it's like, what are you, dumb? Like you, do you think this is like consequence-free violence? Which is another thing that I appreciate this about this movie to some degree is they do show the blood splatters when people get shot. Yeah, had some good ones too. Yeah, not everybody gets one, 
Like if you're busy flipping off of a car after you've been shot, they don't show your guts exploding. <laughs> but you know what? I appreciate the car exploding <laughs> and all the sparks flying off of everything. Oh yeah, and everything's practical in this movie too. Yeah, so like, it still looks amazing. Yeah. And even after like, you know, when the grenade goes under the car and it like it cuts like the wider shot, there's like the dude just like hanging out and he's all bloody <laughs> and shit. So like they're doing its uh, due diligence on the violence front. Yeah, absolutely. It's good. This movie is good. I mean, if you have to, because it is in Cantonese and it's subtitled, uh, you can't, like I tried to do, uh, play on your Switch while the movie's on. Because <laughs> then you have to start it over like I did. <laughs> you actually have to pay attention. But also, you also have to pay attention because, like I said, everything happens so quickly. It just builds and builds and builds for a full two hours until you get to like the hospital. Yeah, yeah, the final act with the confrontation in the hospital, was that like 45 minutes long or was that Who just me? Knows. It was it kept, kept going. It Yeah, it did. It did keep going. It was long as shit. And the bad guys having a base under the hospital in the morgue or some shit was so weird too. And I was just like... Th- there's a few weak plot elements I mean, that you they, just kind of have to ignore when watching this. Yeah, they do try to address everything because they're even like when... Uh, uh, what's her name? Teresa comes like when they meet at the hospital she's like yo here's the plans it took like four months to build all this like they built it under the hospital after the hospital was built like yeah it took some time but to be like arbitrarily like four months is yeah four months but nobody noticed yeah like that would take a lot of equipment you're putting in like bank vault doors yeah you can't smelt them on site and just put them in place it's so weird what a weird what a weird thing this movie's like really good if you like action shit, but if you're looking for a coherent story that makes a lot of sense and like, I don't know, violence that makes sense, this isn't the movie. The my the, favorite the, the what I the way that I kind of saw the action scenes was like at one bit there's a warehouse full of bad guys and Chow Yun Fat whose name is Tequila, which has to be one of the coolest cop names I've seen in a while. (laughs) He comes rappling down by himself to engage these guys, all of whom have guns. So I just thought, okay, so in any sort of martial arts movie, one guy can take out 50 guys in hand-to-hand combat, no problem. So I'll just pretend that instead of martial arts, it's guns, and then everything fell into place for me. So I think that's how you have to approach this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that they set the expectation at the beginning of the movie that this was one of those where it's like unlimited shots go out until it needs to not be. Yeah, right. Like I'm out of bullets when I try to kill this other cop. The only one, the only time that was like weird was when it's tequila and Alan at that one point and he's like tequila's got the revolver, but there's still bullets in like, well, he, those are empty shells. Okay. Yeah. Those are just cas- casings. Gotcha. I don't, I don't know when they decided that. Maybe maybe I'm the Philistine here for not counting the bullets. Because he's using a revolver, so it's like... How many shots could he just let out? I don't... Maybe revolvers are the only ones that aren't bottomless. <laughs> yeah, with a revolver, you can see how many chambers are in it, so it's like a little more clear that uh, you've got to like manually reload those. But with like clips, you can just be like, whatever, there's X amount of bullets in here, and <laughs> just go for it. It's devil may cry gun logic. Don't think about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. They have a revolver and Devil May Cry too, so revolvers obey the same rules, <laughs> except for when the script needs them not to. Yeah, <laughs> I do have to say that the story—I think the story makes sense to some degree. I mean, it's not 
I can't understand Cantonese, so I can't like tell you how good the acting is. I wasn't convinced really by anybody's yeah. performance, but I think start to finish, like I understood what was going on pretty well, with the exception of some of Alan's storyline. Because from uh, from start to finish, it's Chow Yun Fat who's pissed about gun smugglers and his boss being like, "Yo, stay the fuck out of the case, dog. What are you doing?" And then for some reason. Tequila's girlfriend getting flowers from Alan for decoding for the chief of police or the inspector, inspector. general. Yeah. Uh, and he's typing in the shit to decode. It's so weird. It's a, there's a lot of weird things that are tacked onto the story, but start to finish, like I got what was going on. It was tequila trying to stop gun smugglers and Alan trying to stop gun smugglers. But in this movie because they're not american cops they're not hampered by the constant nagging about killing people <laughs> and things like that even that like the inspector at one point is like he gives a whole like speech to tequila about like after like the third time he tells him to stay out of the case he was like well there's a there's a reason that we have to follow rules and they don't and why we have to fill out paperwork every time we shoot and we've got to <laughs> prove that they're you know we've got to prove that they're guilty not that they're innocent it's like that's a great speech but like it's None not reflected in the rest of the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it is a really good, like, cop movie speech to give. But there's been no evidence of any of that this entire time. Yeah, they just will let it rain lead. And the way <laughs> the way that the inspector general, or whatever position he fills, I think it was Pang, superintendent. Superintendent. Let's call him Superintendent Pang. The way he reacted when Tequila's partner was killed in the beginning of the movie, he reacted like death is super common and like the police officers are extremely expendable. <laughs> and he's just like, God, you really fucked up this case for me, man. This guy back here that you killed, there's no way that you would have known this, but he was a key witness that I needed alive. Yeah, there's no communication. Even when it comes down to like, I'm going to kill this guy. And he's like, he's an undercover cop. And like, he's there for like a reason. Or like, we have him planted on purpose. I'm like, well, you could tell the guy. I understand not telling everybody. That's like the point of undercover police work. But like, you can tell the dude who's approaching this case from another direction that, hey, we have someone implanted. Don't keep killing people. Yeah. That's all you have to say is like, we have a man on the inside. Don't worry about this. But then if it was an American movie. Imagine this as an American movie first. Second, if this was an American movie. What if movie, The Departed had more shooting? Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought of, too. If they tell him that there's an inside guy, what's going to end up happening is Chow Yun Fat is just going to pursue the case anyway. He's like, in guy, inside guy, inside guy. <laughs> what if, uh, how do I know he's not dirty? How do I know he's not working with them to bring me down or whatever? Yeah. It, it would just be 10 times more convoluted, I think. Yeah, they do make it kind of, it is pretty easy to follow in both directions because they give you just, as, there are just as many scenes of Alan, like, dealing with being in this criminal organization. Where he's like, for every time you see Tequila, like, pursuing the case or, like, bitching to his uh, bartender friend and then his weird friend Foxy who, like, fucking gets the shit literally kicked out of him <laughs> and then shot and dumped in the river. But then you see, like, Alan meeting up with the drug, like, like the crime boss, like the old man that he has been working for and then getting recruited by the drug runners. And like, you see the steps on both sides. So it's not as like jarring as I feel like an American movie would do it. Where like, you just don't see that this dude's actually making progress on his side of the case. It's just like, 
I'm the guy on the inside. Like that, it would be like a second act reveal or some shit. We're like, right yeah, at the end of the second act. I feel like with departed type movies, there's a lot more layers to sort of unpack. And in this one, the confusion is just from like head scratchers. Yeah. Like it took me a few, um, scenes for me to finally understand that Alan was the one sending coded messages to the cops yeah. using flowers. Cause the first time that came in, I just see Teresa singing to herself as she's writing numbers down on a paper. And then she gives it to the superintendent. He types those numbers into his computer. And then it says message decoded. And then something which makes no sense. Cause I don't have context for it pops up on screen. And I, am I expected to know who has sent that or that it's even an undercover person sending it? I agree. Also, just as a side note, I didn't even know that Teresa and Tequila were dating. I, I, I thought he was just kind of like saying that as banter to his cop yeah, friends. Yeah, it wasn't not super that clear. She was like, really his girlfriend. Is he just flirting with her and like they have like a kind of a flirty back and forth thing? Or are they actually together? Because it's, it's even like towards the end, they don't really seem like it. They had that argument in the elevator and I was like, okay, that's like a weird, shitty relationship argument to have. <laughs> I didn't understand it was Alan until they were in the elevator having that conversation. Like the flowers, like, and it granted I wasn't playing, paying the closest attention. Initially I thought the superintendent was dirty and somebody was sending these flowers to Teresa and Teresa was also dirty. So she was passing these messages along to uh, the superintendent like, and mm-hmm. Chalion fat for whatever reason, is translating these messages because he wants to fuck Teresa or whatever, or it's a cop friend favor. I don't know. Stop peeling back the layers. There are none. (laughs) It's the story is basically two sheets of paper. One is Alan's story. One is tequila story. And they sit right on top of each other. These could be separate films. Yeah. I think I would like the Alan one better. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he like a lot of times when you see undercover cop shit, you don't actually get, you have you see him maybe like do one drug deal or like kill one guy and it's like oh i guess i gotta kill this dude everyone's watching but like he straight up just they he just shoots like five dudes in this parking garage and i was like totally like throughout every scene you see him in he's like totally down to just do whatever the crime people need him to do yeah which is another difference between that and american movies and like the rules for cops it's just like well if you're undercover there are no rules you can do whatever yeah, you want you are now. embedded and make sure you get the fucking job done bring them yeah. in if you got to kill somebody you got to kill somebody it's it's shitty but you know what there are plenty of people here in china <laughs> or oh they're in hong kong aren't they different i mean depends on how you view that if you're a commie then the hong kong hong kongers are imperialist pigs but hey at the time they were like still kind of celebrating their freedom they were like hey great britain just left so we're (laughs) yeah is that why there were some english spoken lines in this movie was that just kind of like culture over there that yeah there's a lot there is not a lot but yeah they do go back and forth um but it's like how mainland china they speak mandarin primarily and then hong kong they speak cantonese but there's also a lot of english integration because of the british occupation that lasted into the 90s which is fucking wild yes fucking crazy it did kind of throw me off every now and then so i'm like they would say something in english randomly I'm like, that's a fucking order. Did I hallucinate <laughs> that? Like, I see <laughs> Do I understand Cantonese? <laughs> am I just by, between like seeing the captions and hearing and hearing the Cantonese? Am I absorbing this somehow? And the answer is no. They just randomly <laughs> speak English. <laughs> Shut up. I don't know that the villain 
Johnny Wong. Was I, I didn't place that he was like the main villain until literally the end. <laughs> I was like, who is in charge? So many. Because it was like they introduced like the old man in the first act who's like, you know, Uncle Hoy. And he's running all this crime. And he has all these young dudes around him. And Alan's the only one he trusts. And But he, even so, he's like, yo, I knew you were going to have to fucking kill me at some point. Like, did he know he was undercover? But anyway, they introduce him and then they kill him 20 minutes later. And you're like, okay, well, now we're having this meeting with these other guys. Who's in charge? Who's like running shit? It's like, this is the dude with the eye patch. And it's like, no, that dude is just really good at fighting for some reason. From what I can tell in this movie, there's not like a whole lot of crime that's going on. Like, you don't see the bad guys doing their crime shit. Yeah, they're planning on shipping guns somewhere. But. Aside from that, the, there's like a loose plan. So the first uh, violence was enacted by uh, Chow Yun Fat, Detective Tequila, inside the bird bar. I mean, technically, yes, they, they had guns on them, but like, yeah, that's a crime, I'm sure. Mm. But that was him busting another group of people, and then a gunfight ensues. And then the second thing is that shit yeah, that that's, happens that's unrelated the only reason that's there is because his partner gets killed yeah and then we see alan kill some guy in a library and yes. then chow young fat gets called in to investigate and that's what gets him into the whole gun smuggling operation. there we go yeah uh, there's just murder mostly as far as i can tell not necessarily gun running they, they go to the parking garage and shoot up that place and they like take all the guns that are there but that was mostly a trap for Uncle Hoy uh, to get him to come in so they could kill him. And then aside from that, you see them in their base and that's where they're packing up the guns and shit. But it's like these guys are just kind of non-specific bad guys, I'd say. It was the first big break, okay? <laughs> when I make it big, I'm going to take care of my <laughs> I'll go see my mom when I make it big. <laughs> oh, that's how you know he's going to die. He's got somebody that he's going to go see at some point. And I like how that was only brought up just that one time. Yeah, right before it happened. It's, oh, well, yeah. Before When I make it big, I'm going to go see my mom. I don't want to see her like this. Well, then you just don't want to see her. But <laughs> uh, And that's okay. Live your life. But, um, yeah. The thing with the babies lasted too long. Yeah, I agree. That shouldn't have been like five, six scenes. That shouldn't have been like... We forgot the babies. And then there's one scene where they're getting rescued. We didn't need to keep cutting back to uh, police officers getting shot while they're rappelling down. And how that did happened they maybe know? four times. I'm like, why did we keep seeing this? And it's, like, it's clearly a different shot. It's like, why does this keep happening? It's so weird because there are a lot of cops on the ground, too. So you would think that they would be looking at the, at windows. the windows. It's like, oh, well, here's a guy who's going to pop out and shoot our guy. Yeah. But there are like 50 cops on the ground outside. And I also need to remark, I'll get back to the baby thing in a minute, but it, I didn't realize that Johnny Wong had that many dudes in the hospital. Because yeah, they were all dressed as like cops and doctors and like they were in like plain clothes. The plain clothes thing was really throwing me off because there were johnny's guys who were just like in suits and shit but then there were also police officers who were also dressed very casually but the only difference is like they had little id badges clipped to their lapels like this is not good like this is confusing <laughs> only send uniformed dudes in but you can't do that either because johnny's guys are dressed as uniform guys like it's, it was very hard to keep track of who they were supposed to be shooting at and then there's like alan does kill a cop and you're like what the fuck and he's even <laughs> like dude i just killed one of our own guys 
And he was like, no, you're fucking hallucinating. I was like, when the fuck did you say that? <laughs> First of all, like, you're losing it. You got to keep your head focused. We got to fucking win this. And then literally like three minutes later, I was like, did I actually kill a cop? He's like, yeah, you fucking killed that dude. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I don't, I, I don't know if there were any actual doctors in that hospital. <laughs> Except for just, the one guy who didn't want to evacuate. Yeah, he was just like, I, we, if you guys are wrong, man, we're going to be walking into a real bad emergency. This is going to be a big hoax or whatever. This, this is going to make us look very bad. And she just fucking breaks the fire. Oh, fuck it, dude. It just, you could have done this the easy way. And then suddenly everybody's got a gun. Even yes. the nurses. <laughs> the infants have guns. <laughs> Going back to... It's the, just one baby with a fucking revolver. <laughs> it was just, no, it's just a grown man sitting in one of the baby... It's in a diaper. He's, it's just his head sticking out like in those all, all that sketches. <laughs> yeah. Just his head. And he's just like under the cabinet with like a gun underneath. <laughs> oh, shit. There's... The baby thing was so stupid. The dude's legs are on fire. And the baby pisses on him and puts out the fire. Wait, I is was, this a fucking madcap comedy all of a sudden? Why is this part here? Also, just jump out the window. You can put your legs out afterwards. Dude, also, I have to say, like, him putting the cotton in the baby's ears, but singing just, to him, but also firing the gun. It's like, what? So either the baby in this scene can hear you singing and can hear the gunfire or can't or hear either. Can't hear either. Like, which one is it? And then he, the baby gets splattered with his blood. That's wild. <laughs> I was like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, dude. The, the poster on Wikipedia is the one with him holding the infant. Yeah. And that's, it's not even like on a phone like that. It's, it's a pretty, pretty grown baby. Yeah. One that would be too large to be in the hospital. Like, it's not a preemie out the womb. Yeah. It's a, it's like a fucking six month old or some <laughs> shit with hair and all that. But look, I think what it may have been is there was some script rewriting because the original writer died and there was some sort of plot point about a killer poisoning babies. So maybe that baby aspect of the film well, percolated its way. We've got all these to, babies still. Yeah, we, we've rented our baby time. <laughs> we don't want to throw that money away. Let's just have them like tossed out of this hospital window for 20 minutes. <laughs> I, when that dude, when the first dude got shot bringing down the baby and it turned out it was still alive after getting shot by so many bullets, I thought the baby got shot. Because when they put it on the ground, there's like a little bit of blood on the baby. And I was just like, what the fuck is happening? Like, what, what's going on here? But it turns out it was just blood splatter. Shout out to this movie for be, being willing to put blood splatter on right. infants. That was, it was very jarring. <laughs> I was like, he's probably going to get shot like in this. I was like prepared for that. He's going to get shot carrying this baby. And it's going to be a whole heroic thing. But he gets shot in the shoulder and then blood splatters all over this baby's face. Okay. <laughs> And he's just like, oh, sorry about that. And he's like, wipes it off. <laughs> and he's perfectly fine. He's And this is the thing with this movie. You can get shot a bunch of times and just walk away, be perfectly oh, fine. Oh, yeah, Alan gets shot in the back with a shotgun. And he's fine like a day later. Yeah, yep. He gets up like somebody fucking poked him or shot him <laughs> with like an airsoft gun or something. He's like, oh, God, that was so uncomfortable. For most of that, like hospital sequence he's got like glass in his face like i just i noticed one of the close-up shots of him he's got like shards of glass in his like cheek and his chin like that's 
pretty good looking. Like, that actually looks pretty solid. And he just has it the rest of the time. And I couldn't stop focusing on it every time they showed his face. That's a nice touch. Very nice touch. Overall thoughts? Absolute carnage. Uh, you should definitely see it. Yeah, it's definitely uh, worth watching just to see how how that kind of trope of people <laughs> diving through the air and shooting at the same time. Uh, you don't. I mean, you see, there's like some of that in like '80s movies and shit. But John Woo takes it to another level. <laughs> Almost every gun violence scene is somebody fucking leaping through the air, firing guns, or through windows too. More people jump through windows than use doors in this movie. Yeah, there's a lot, especially yeah. in the hospital scene when uh, <laughs> uh, um, Alan and the eye patch, patch dude man. are fighting like they jump through so many windows or jumping over tables and just can't hit each other they've been firing pretty accurately until they have to fight each other letting off as many shots as possible yep. oh 30 40 50 i didn't count every <laughs> now and then one of them will pick up another gun and you're like okay well they're kind of thinking about this but <laughs> <laughs> uh this movie is fucking insane it's insane it's very action-packed this is michael bay without this is Michael Bay with practical effects only. Yeah. This movie is fucking insane. There are sparks every time a bullet maybe <laughs> hits something. And for some reason, when a shotgun is fired, sparks just fly off of everything yeah. anywhere. Except for when it's uh, the eye patch man's body. <laughs> which is hmm, weird that they didn't kill him by traditional means. They had the villain kill him. Yeah. Because he's like the only person who's he's the one who addresses killing civilians and like we don't need to do all that shit we can just take care of these cops and we're like we're good and he was like fuck that i hate civilians i'll go over <laughs> i need to <laughs> and of course he gets shot in the gut and lives yeah he's he gets shot point blank and just walks away like nothing happened he's needed for later scenes yeah the, i like the level of violence in this movie it's a cartoonish thing and the squibs are real good yeah like there's a handful where like in the hospital especially where they'll show someone gets shot and then like they'll do the follow-through of him also like the bullet exiting the back of their body or like you don't see the bullet but like there'll be squibs on both sides of them you're like all right john will look at you <laughs> yeah put in the work baby we're gonna do practical i'm gonna go all the way we're gonna actually show how this works that's dope anyway uh that does it for that check out the movie watch it we'll be back with our titular segment, No Concessions. sessions our titular segment where we make a case for our favorite or least favorite movies let's start with you charles all right so it's been a couple months since uh, disney plus has been in, been out now and so i've been revisiting some films uh, particularly from the era like after the 
Disney Renaissance, you know, that period from Little Mermaid to like Mulan, where Disney came back from being very close to bankruptcy. Uh, it's weird to think about the fact that Disney was fucking doing terribly from like the 60s until the late 80s. Hmm. Uh, people were just not into there were so many other studios that like it was almost like the market was too crowded and also that's during the point where like animation was more censured towards kids so they just weren't none of their films were really successful between like the 50s really and the late 80s and then little mermaid came out and they were like yo we're gonna do just broadway stuff but animated and that took off so we had little mermaid beating the beast aladdin lion king um, what else in that period? Mulan. Anyway, that's the period where everyone's like, that's Disney. That's why 90 kids, 90s kids are so fucking hard about Disney all the time. It's because we experienced the point where Disney like came back, so there was a resurgence of Disney's popularity right when we were growing up. But then there's the period after that where it's like, there's all those movies that people kind of forget about. Um, like Hercules, which was like a big deal, but that was kind of when critically the movie started going down. It was like Hercules and all those other weird movies in the early 2000s. But one of them that stuck with me and that I rewatched recently is Home on the Range. Home on the Range was released in 2004. It was like really, it was super underperformed. I can't remember what came out at the same time, but it underperformed. And that was one of like the first ones where like maybe traditional animation is not where it's at. And I kind of continued, but it's weird it's like it stars roseanne barr and judy dench (laughs) (laughs) and it's not john goodman but like it sounds like john goodman but it's about these this old lady has like this farm it's in like the 1830s this old woman she's got this farm and she's being like foreclosed on is like the plot and these cows are trying to like figure out they're trying to like solve the situation and like if we can the main bad guy is this dude who is a cattle rustler he's like been he's forcing these farms to go out of business by stealing their cows and he does it by yodeling and it controls the cows minds and he can get them to go with him it sounds fucking bonkers and it is but i can't imagine why this is a critical failure it's amazing like it's actually really good it's animated really well the voice acting is solid I think this is like it wasn't a musical in the same way a lot of the other Disney movies around this period were. Like it was like this one and Treasure Planet and Lilo and Stitch were like not musicals. Like the music is, aside from the dude yodeling, like the music is just kind of happening while scenes are happening. And like there was a weird point where that wasn't how Disney movies did it. But if you've got Disney Plus or if somehow you uh, end up owning it on DVD like I do. <laughs> uh, watch Home on the Range. It's fucking worth it. Some of the sequences are really trippy. Cuba Gooding Jr. is in it as like this horse who's just super full of himself. And I know Cuba Gooding Jr. has been fucking wild. I don't know if you've been watching Somebody any of the news. Somebody suck this baby's dick. <laughs> Somebody suck this baby's dick. Cuba Gooding Jr. has been fucking wilding forever, it turns out. <laughs> but um, I know all that's coming out, so like he's definitely on his way out as a person in our society but uh he gives a great performance as this horse that's super full of himself and it's a fun movie watch home on the range it's worth it i don't really have to defend it too hard because none of you have seen it but 
I was so baffled when you brought it up. I Googled it. I lo- it doesn't even look familiar. Yeah, it it was super under the radar. It didn't do well. No, critically, one hundred and ten million dollar budget. Yeah, one hundred and four million box office. Yeah, this movie fucking bombed. It can't. But like, this is also the period where Disney was just. They would have their like bigger movies. Like it feels like they didn't know what they were doing from like two thousand to like two thousand seven. It was like a period where they released probably fifteen movies. Like that's dizzy, that's too much. That's too many things. And a lot of them are not good. Does Atlantis fall into that time? Yeah. Period? So there's like Atlantis and Treasure Planet and Lilo and Stitch, which like and Treasure Planet didn't do well uh, financially. And Atlantis did just well enough for them to be like, this was worth it. And then Lilo and Stitch kind of took off. But those like the three from that period. There were a bunch of movies that I didn't even recognize when I was looking it up earlier. I was like, Valiant. And Valiant was like this weird CG movie that wasn't Pixar. This was before Disney had fully acquired Pixar. But it's like this weird, shitty CG movie about a pigeon during World War II. And I was like, this didn't need to happen. But yeah, Home on the Range, uh, check it out. It's better than it has any business being, especially for that period in time. And it's genuinely really fun. And the yodeling will get stuck in your head. Well, I won't be watching it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So my no concessions pick for this week is a movie that I haven't talked to anyone else who's seen it yet. It's from Paris with Love. Oh, yeah. Is that the action movie? Yes. I've seen about half of it. I directly finished it. Hold on. That's the one with John Travolta? Bald John Travolta. And he's like a Royale with cheese in the fucking trailer? Yeah. Everything about it makes it sound like it would be a terrible, like, spy slash thriller slash action movie. But for some reason, it manages to avoid all the sort of mental obstacles I have against garbage like this and makes it into my brain as being, oh yeah, I actually really like this movie. Yeah, it's a bad trailer. And like I said, I didn't finish the movie. I think I saw it like on an airplane. But like it's enjoyable. It's not. Now it's it's got humor which manages to be clever and not totally dumb. Just a little bit dumb. Mostly hammed up by John Travolta. Yeah. And then it's got some exciting action scenes, one of which there's a gunfight in a room full of mannequins, which looks very John Woo-ish, which is what made me uh, connect that to Hard Boiled. And uh, the overall storyline is something that isn't contrived. It's got like a little bit of a twist to it where John Travolta is initially trying to recruit the help of this young wannabe spy guy, Jonathan Reese Myers. And he's saying, there's this uh, drug cartel here in France that we have to topple. But uh, the further into the movie you get, the more it gets uncovered that it's not actually about just drugs. It's a terrorist cell that launders their money by selling drugs. And they're trying to um, sneak a suicide bomber into this one summit that's going to happen. But you should definitely check it out. I've seen it way more times than is a reasonable number one should see that movie <laughs> my no concessions pick for this week is dr detroit starring dan Aykroyd. <laughs> okay go on <laughs> okay. this movie sounds fake it's <laughs> the ai make this one up <laughs> <laughs> well, okay all right this movie i watched this movie last night and it was so fucking wacky and weird. One of the things that I recently realized is that the 80s 
were a great time for movies. This looks like a fake like poster. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The, the 80s were a great time for movies because movies were concise. There was always just one thing going on. The characters were focused on this one thing and the plot went from A to B and there wasn't any like three hour mess where there are like 16 competing plot lines, a bunch of different things happening to all the characters at once, blah, 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 so on and so forth. So Dr. Detroit is about Clifford Scrimshipfield, Scridlow, Scridlow, Clifford Scridlow, and he is an assistant professor at the university where his father's a chancellor. And (laughs) he gets caught up in a scheme (laughs) to to protect this guy from being extorted by a gangster in town. And so this movie is about uh, an assistant professor protecting four hookers from uh, being abused by a mob boss named Mom in Chicago. Mom (laughs) has like this gang of like limo drivers or whatever, but she also runs hookers and she's responsible for a lot of the drug business going on in town. And so she has somebody, his name is Smooth Walker. He's a pimp that is in control of these four hookers. And Smooth Walker says that somebody named Dr. Detroit is responsible for uh, the money that Smooth Walker owes to mom. <laughs> and Smooth Walker runs into Dan Aykroyd at a, an Indian restaurant, invites him to sit with him and his four hookers, and they proceed to get him drunk, get him really high, and then fu- basically feed him drugs and alcohol all night. And then they eventually just adopt him into their like crazy family. <laughs> And it's it's one of the most insane things that I've watched in a very long time. It's wacky in a way that's a lot of fun. And it's like endearing because none of the characters are annoying or stupid in a way that is off-putting. And I can watch it over and over again. It's a very simplistic movie. It's a lot of fun. And it makes sense. It's well acted. I'm about to check it out because I read the synopsis and it's insane yes it sounds pretty zany like it's pretty straightforward but like it it sounds like the type of movie that would be described as zany as well yeah dude it's fun i i hate to be this dude but i watched four movies this weekend hard-boiled was one of them i watched buckaroo bonsai for the first time that movie is insane i'm gonna do a micro review uh in a coming episode in the next i don't know five episodes i'm not sure yet (laughs) uh real geniuses with val kilmer that movie is fucking sick. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Detroit and Hard Boiled. So three of those movies take or were made in the 80s. One was in 92. The movies made in the 80s, they don't make movies like that anymore. No, because the studio system, it was right before the studio system started to shift to when, to where it's more, it was like the guys who were doing like running the numbers on everything like the guy, the creative people were like switch starting to get more into production. So there was like less writing and acting and more like check, like looking in the scripts and like funding stuff, starting their own production companies. And so I just left this, left this gap in like the late eighties, early nineties where now it was like dudes who just been in the studio system for a long time and didn't actually have the creative part of it. They were like, well, we ran the numbers. These kind of movies are doing well right now. So we're just going to make the shit out of those. 
And that's when you start to get like movies that have like the same plot because like those scripts are circling around like, well, how much can we legally change this so that it's different? And you get a bunch of movies that all start to look the same. And now we're 20 years past that where now it's like only smaller studios are doing these like really inventive creative stuff because all the big studios are run by accountants. And Well, I didn't realize that. Yeah, Real Geniuses is basically uh, it's basically Revenge of the Nerds. But without with less rape, <laughs> yes, with much less rape, with one hundred percent less rape. Yeah, there was definitely a shift um, in the eighties when, like, all of these, where like a lot of the guys who were doing the creative, like, random shit, like a movie, you know, like fucking Doctor Detroit or like Nothing But Trouble, like these weird comedies that like wouldn't get made otherwise, like really interesting, like high concept sci fi or like act, you know, action movies were getting made, and then there were as people are becoming well-known, they're shifting over. It's like, all right, well, now I can be, have more creative control and I can make my projects. And they're not submitting stuff out and they're like make, starting their own companies. And so now all the studios are like, well, we got to fill these gaps. So who's already working in this lane? All right, well, just move that guy over. He can start reviewing scripts. That dude's been crunching numbers for 15 years. He doesn't know anything about what's like, creatively engaging he's just like well i know we made a bunch of money on these and if we don't make money i lose my job so i'm gonna look at the things that make money and now we're 30 years removed from that and that's exactly where we are still runs imagine one point time 1.5 times the amount of money you spent on the budget not being good enough you're right like what I I remember back when two times was like astounding. Yeah. What? It made twice its budget back? That's insane. Now it's like, well, if it's not pulling down a billion, we don't want to make it. Yeah. Like Dr. Detroit had a budget of eight million and made 10. Yeah. And it was like pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> we, we shot all this in like three months and it <laughs> didn't bankrupt us. So probably <laughs> less than that if I had to guess. It's like comedies kind of had that leeway because you could if you weren't doing like big action sequences, you didn't really have to worry too much. It's like, now you're just paying the actors. And when it was guys like Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi and, uh, fucking Bill Murray, when they were writing these movies for themselves, they're like, whatever, I'll, we'll just do it because we want to see it done. We'll worry about the money later. And, uh, now that it's like studios are like gripping the purse strings a lot harder. I was like, well, I don't know if we can fucking, Get, take a chance on this because what if it doesn't make 20 times its budget in the first week if you don't make your money in the first weekend like i hate seeing projections before films come out so like this movie is projected to make 35 million dollars its opening weekend so what the fuck are you talking about the problem that i have is that 35 million dollars over like a two-month theater stay isn't good enough yeah it has to be 35 million the first weekend if it's a 12 million dollar movie it's like you can't you can't enjoy success over a longer period of time or else that movie's a fucking failure i don't know why that is it's just super shitty yeah well so you can have claims like the number one movie of the weekend like who, who gives a shit yeah how about this how about you just let people make stuff and we end up with terrible movies made by people like uh that one comedian uh what's her name the blonde woman. I know. Uh, who really narrowed it about. down, but <laughs> she's not, uh, not she Brittany runs a marathon train wreck, right? Yeah. Whatever the one, uh, she was very popular for several years. Amy she, Schumer, Amy Schumer. God. Oh yeah. Damn. Amy Schumer's movies are garbage. Her comedy is also not good. I don't know how she, she became so popular. She's just loud and mean. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. 
uh, anyway, let people like that make movies. Yeah, give uh, us everything. Well, the, let the market actually decide what's good. Yeah, yeah. Because like word of mouth used to carry movies, like in like the nineties and even like into the early two thousands. That's how like you would see movies premiere and they do whatever, and then two or three weeks later there'd be a big surge again because people see it and they tell their friends to see it. Yeah, and you're like, oh well, this movie's actually fucking great. You're not worried about having tent poles every weekend for each studio. Yeah. Like, how can any of your movies be successful if you're constantly competing with yourself? There are only three studios, what it comes down to. Why are you trying to keep either just shotgun it all out or just accept that some of your movies aren't going to make yeah, a dude, fucking billion it, dollars? I don't know why you need to have the movie that pulls down uh, eight billion times more than it uh, was made for. Yeah. Right. Like I don't, if you're making fucking uh, fast and furious nine for a hundred some odd million dollars, I don't see why you need to have that make 500 million. Like what, for what? Yeah. The, that you're the lights are on at the studio for the next hundred years already. Yeah. Everybody's got paychecks for at least the next 70. So what, what, why? Like yeah. what's it for? Take your 250 million and be like, yo, we doubled our budget. We're good. Like, yeah, and also a lot of times the in the marketing often isn't factored into budget. I don't know why, like that information is very seldom like put out into those statistics. So maybe they're sinking way more money than we think they are into marketing. I doubt it. I I I don't think so. Yeah, because the way that unless if they're doing like. Uh, and this is I used to write uh, mm-hmm. back in the day I don't know how many people know this but there was a period in time when I had press passes for Comic-Con yeah. and I worked press for a website and th- I would go to those events they would have very specific events and they would spend a fuckload of money at things so like a press junket for uh like a studio, let's say Sony puts on a press junket, they'll probably spend like $350,000 over a weekend to get like an open bar, uh, free food, like uh, carnival games, like a bunch of shit like that in a single weekend for uh, Comic-Con. They'll do all of that just to have like 150 people come through over a period of time and Mm. then invite some of the public in or whatever just to promote these movies. But they're not doing this stuff globally. And the types of interactions I think people are getting now, at least in marketing, I have a friend who works in marketing. She does um, focus group stuff. And so they they spend a good amount of money on focus groups. They don't, they send her and like three people to do focus groups. They're not spending like a million dollars to do a focus group in one weekend or like she works in a department of like 18 people or something like that. Yeah. And they're not spending a fuckload of money on that specifically. Yeah, sure. Maybe like billboards or uh, web advertisements, but stuff on Instagram is cheap. Yeah. Like relative anyway. Stuff on Instagram is cheap. YouTube does a lot of the footwork for you. You put a trailer up and people will post the trailer for you without even having to say anything. And like, quote unquote, I'm not even going to say journalists, but like movie writers Mm -hmm. now want access so bad that they're not going to say anything negative about your work. Yeah. Because like, what even is the point? Yeah. Oh, we, you don't even need to cover the movie. All you have to do is say when it's coming out and then post a trailer on your website and pretend to be excited about it. Yeah. The reaction video economy. Yeah, exactly. Um, there, there are two types of reaction videos that make a lot of money. Uh, there are the people who are very excited about it, extremely so, where you're like, you're feigning this excitement. Yeah. Or 
they, sometimes they don't even feign the excitement. What they do is they just put every put a positive spin on everything that they say. Yeah. And then the other type, which is the opposite end of the spectrum, is the overtly cynical person who's just like, oh, this is going to suck. Uh, somebody had phrased it to me as irony poisoning. Yeah. Where... <laughs> They just lean too hard into ironic shit or cynicism, which is like most of the content on YouTube. Anyway, whatever. This episode's over. Uh, <laughs> That's a whole other discussion. Yeah, yeah. So long story short, you should see Dr. Detroit, I think was the point you were trying to make. Yes. Dr. Detroit is a fun movie. And bring that media landscape back where we can have movies like Dr. Detroit. Yeah. Studio heads that definitely listen to the show. Sign up. <laughs> sign up for the new Patreon uh, where I'm going to be making movies. We're going to start with porn first, but we're going to Zach and Miri this shit. Yeah. Get, let somebody get shit all over them because <laughs> for whatever reason, we decided not to do an anima scenes in that movie that I remember. And it's, that is one of them when the dude's like, I got frosted like a fucking cake. It won't leave my brain. <laughs> I've seen that movie twice and Ugh. that won't leave my head anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, later. See you later. Bye.